0: Thanks, you guys. Good morning. It's good to see you. Happy New Year. Officially, right? We are in the book of Matthew, chapter 2. If you would turn there in your Bible, I'd appreciate that. Matthew, chapter 2. We, uh <laughs> I came in this morning and it's a little sad. Our decorations for Christmas were all gone. And it's it's like it's over, but it's not over, right? It's not over. It's always... Christmas. It's always time when Christ is uh, is here, and we have an opportunity to worship Him. Uh, today, we are continuing on in the series we started uh, first part of November, and that series is called Written So That You Might Believe. Uh, our anchor verse there is is John 20, 31, and it, it says, but these things are written, and it's talking about the, the accounts of the gospel. Uh, you see what's written there for us. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His Name and uh, and today is no different than any other day. It's all about Jesus. Amen. Um, fun time. We've we've we're in the new year and we've we've studied. Uh, we started in the first part of John chapter one and we've we've kind of started to harmonize and reconcile uh, the text of the New Testament. So of, of, the, of the of the of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, are different authors writing to different target audiences for different purposes and have different and similar accounts. of of stories of Jesus, of the work and life of Jesus Christ. So for you and I, we get to see these glimpses, and what we're trying to do through this series is to put those together to see the big picture of who Jesus is and and really see that it is all about Jesus, and then what do we do with that? So we've spent a lot of time recently in Luke, because Luke has a majority of the narrative about the birth of Christ, the Christmas story. But today we switch gears and go to Matthew, and we're working chronologically through this text. So we're in Matthew chapter 2 today, and Matthew chapter 2 is really showing us uh, the wise men story, right? It's, it's the story of the, of the wise men that came to worship Christ. Now, for you and I, when we talk about the wise men, we tend to think, well, the wise men, that's part of, like, Christmas Day. We see the nativity that we had set up here or in the lobby, and you see the nativity picture, and what do you see? The shepherds, and Mary, and Joseph, and the animals, and you see three wise men, right? That they're there at the nativity, at the manger, and, and we see in Scripture today that that's not the case uh, in the events that are, are presented. The events of the wise men likely took place uh, months, if not maybe a year after or more the birth of Jesus Christ. And, and we, a couple of things that help us understand that. This is just kind of a precursor for the text today. Uh, we know that when they came, that they were led to a house where they found the child, Jesus, and his mother there at the house. So it was at a house. It wasn't a stable with a manger. Uh, we also know that um, when Mary went to the temple, remember she had Jesus and then she went to the temple. Last week we talked about Jesus being dedicated or presented that when she gave her offering, that she she gave the sacrifice, she didn't give the expensive lamb, right, and bird sacrifice. She gave a double bird sacrifice, two turtle doves and two pigeons, because she was poor. Now remember, when the Magi came, what did they present Jesus and his family with? Gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Very expensive things, right? If they had a big, big pot of gold, they wouldn't have had to bring birds. They could have brought a lamb. So after that had happened at some time, when we see the Magi show up, and then we see it more clearly in this story, and we'll read the text together in a moment, but we see more clearly when, when Herod decides that he can't stand the thought of Jesus or threat to his throne or his kingdom, and he wants to, to wipe out that threat, he, he sets aside uh, to find out when the star appeared that sent the wise men there, and he calculates this, and he figures any kid two years old or younger is toast, and he, he sets out to have them murdered, so that, that that child that was born to be king of the Jews would be wiped out. So it was likely that he was between, oh, a month or two old and, and a year or two old. So that's kind of what the text implies, and we're going we're gonna to see that. A couple of other things that are that are different in the story. We, uh, we see that we t- tend to think there were three wise men, right? The three magi, and we don't know. Scripture doesn't say. It just says that wise men came from the east. We think three because there were three gifts, so gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we tend to think that, that must have been one for each king. Well, who knows? Maybe one of them gave three, and the rest gave nothing. I don't know, right? Well, there could have been one. Well, that could have been one. It could have been two, right? Because they are men, wise men, two or more. Could have been 30 or 50. 200 might have came. Who knows? That would have caused quite a stir, though, right? So today, we're going to really look at this text and unpack w- what, the, uh, what the account really is giving to us. Uh, the sermon title today is Christ's Infancy. So uh, as we talk about this sermon series, every single sermon title is going to have something about Christ, because as the Word of God is written, it's all about Christ. And we're going to see that, really hope, in depth today and, uh, and hopefully stir in your heart just that, that peace and that excitement, knowing that it's all about Jesus, and it's always been all about Jesus. So we are in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read 1 through 23 together. I'll pray for us first, then we'll get started, all right? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful uh, to worship you and to, to bring ourselves here, to overflow with the joy that we have from the Christmas season of remembering about Christ's birth and and that God came in the form of a man, God in the human flesh, human likeness, to live and to die in our place. And Father, it's, it's because He is full, both fully man and fully God that He could die and then rise from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all. So God, we we thank you for that. We embrace the grace that you've offered us, God. We thank you to, that you have a continual love for us, a a hesed love, an enduring covenantal love for us. That God you will do whatever it takes in line with your covenant to reveal yourself to us and to pursue us that we might come to know you as savior so god help us to see you more clearly today we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to the text God. that you would you would convict us of sin that you would challenge us to change that god you would conform us into the image of your son jesus christ and it's in his glorious name we pray amen all right matthew chapter 2 verses one. Through twenty-three, And then we're going to read one verse out of Luke uh, in the chronological order here. It's Luke uh, 2.39. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So He assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told Him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. Entering the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage. He gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through, the, through Jeremiah, the prophet, was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intended to kill the child are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled down in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called the Nazarene. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 39, When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth quite a large section of scripture that we're going to cover today, and and it is about Christ's infancy. And it's amazing to see little Christ as an infant, right? He was born, we talked about it, he was born, and then he was dedicated last week, and we talked about that in the service. And then this week now we see that that infancy, that to almost toddler range of Jesus. And he is creating quite a stink, isn't he? He is creating quite the stir in and around the region. And, and so we're going to look at that today, and we're going to look at some different, different aspects uh, from the text that relate to this time of Christ's infancy. The first one is this. It's the prophecies. We're going to look at the prophecies. Now, I typically would go chronologically through, or, or straight through this passage from verse 1 through verse 23. Uh, there's a lot of the text that relates to itself in different ways, uh, and we're going we're to go- take it a chunk uh, at a time as it relates to each topic. So the first one are the prophecies. So get ready to kind of skim around and skip around through the text with me. Uh, there's, when we talk about the prophecies, it's important for us to understand there's, there's really two types today that we're looking at, two types of prophecies. There are the precise fulfillments or specific prophecy fulfillments that we'll see. And here's how we're going to label those. We're going to label those with this is that. Okay, now follow me for a minute. When you're, when you're in this time and you're, you're there and baby Jesus is born, you see Jesus being born of a virgin and you recall the prophecy that says the virgin will give birth to a son out of the line of David, right? And he's going to rule over that, that house in line forever. So when we see Jesus born, we see this is that which was already spoken of. Do you understand? This time, what's being fulfilled right now, this is that. Those are precise, specific prophecies about God and about Jesus. Now, there are dozens, hundreds actually, of prophecies about Jesus. And and it's important for us to know them and know that Christ fulfilled them because the odds of one person throughout all of history and time being able to fulfill all of those prophecies without being divine Is zero. It's it's almost zero, next to zero. It's an impossibility without divine intervention. So, but today we're looking at two types of prophecies, the specific ones. Let's look at two of the specific prophecies that we see uh, in the text that we can relate to. Right, I just mentioned one of them, that is his birth to a virgin. I'm looking at Matthew, back in chapter one, verse eighteen. It says uh, the birth of Jesus came about this way: after his his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Now, again, the the angel comes later on and says, listen, Mary, this is, she's a virgin, this is of God, uh, and and eventually Jesus is born. And we have this fulfillment of that prophecy that takes place. So we see that, and Matthew was very clear in his text to give us that prophecy, to understand that is so, so true. But here's what we do with these prophecies. We kind of compartmentalize specific prophecies because they're easy to check off a list. Oh, yep, that happened, that happened, they did that. Uh, and, And we'll see the next one. The next one is, His birth in Bethlehem. Let's look at our text in Matthew two together, okay? And and it's it's prophesied or it's mentioned er, elsewhere that he was born there. But in verses four through six, it says he he uh, he that is Herod assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, and asked them where the Christ was to be born. Now we we know it's already happened; it's in Bethlehem. But it says this: this is their answer. Verse five: In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. Now this is a prophecy out of Micah chapter five. Here's the prophecy. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So when Christ the Messiah, the Anointed One, the line of David, was born of a virgin, he was also born in Bethlehem. And when this occurrence happened, when, when, that, that, was, when that happened, right, they could say, this is that which was prophesied. It was a specific prophecy fulfilled in Christ. At that moment so there are specific prophecies and it's nice to check them off but I think there's a there's another type of prophecy that we've seen in our text today and they're a patterned fulfillment a patterned prophecy or a, a type and and what it what it does is this it helps us open our eyes to the overarching story of God from creation to restoration and as we see the movement and story of God in the Old Testament and see the story of the patriarchs and matriarchs. We see the story of God showing up and continuing to pursue us with His hesed love, His covenantal, enduring love for us. We see that story replayed time and time and time again. And when it comes to Jesus, here's what Matthew's going to say. Here's what what the, the New Testament is going to teach us. That it's always been, all those stories have always been, always and only about Christ about Christ. And we're going to see three of those pattern fulfillments today. Now, it takes a little work for us to think, well, does that really fit? And here's what I want you to understand. Sometimes it's, it's kind of, my, my intellect gets in the way. I don't know about yours. I'll read this and be like, wait a minute. It's, that's a stretch. But it's in God's Word, and He's saying it to us to reveal us, to us that it's true. So if we can't quite get it, it's not because it's not enough, there's not enough evidence. It's just that God's bigger than us. And we have to settle in our hearts and say, you know what, God, in faith, we can We can trust that this is true. But we're going to look at three different patterned uh, fulfillments of prophecy where it's not just, yep, check that off, he fulfilled it. It's like, holy cow, he has always been central to every theme in Scripture. Let me give you one real quick that we we are not going to talk about today, specifically to this passage, but we're going to talk about it right now. Israelites coming out of Egypt before they came out, right? They, They had the plagues and all these things, and then they had the Passover, right? What happened there? The Israelites were in command and said, listen, you are to sacrifice a lamb. You are to take the blood of the lamb to cover on the doorpost of your home to cover you. So when the angel comes to take the firstborn, you will be be spared this tragedy. How? You'll be spared because of the blood of the lamb. It's always only been about Jesus. Because what do we see in Jesus? Jesus is our full and complete, once and for all, Passover lamb that he sacrificed himself on that cross, that he shed his blood for us, covering us, that by faith, if we would believe the gospel, we would be saved, and we would become, a, become and have a righteousness that was never intended for us, only by Jesus' power do we get it. It's only through the Lamb, right? It has always, only ever been about Jesus. So when we see the big story, the big picture, that's what we're seeing in these pattern prophecies. So let's look at a couple of them. Uh, just know that Matthew is not looking through the Bible at random proof texts to try to help prove it. This is, this is what is on his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes it to us. So the first one we see is Exodus, the Exodus and Jesus and how they relate. Look at Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. After they were gone, this is the, the Magi have left, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search Uh, for the child to kill him so he got up he took the mother during the night uh, and they escaped to Egypt he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled so Matthew is telling us this is spoken by the Lord this is something that he said before we've seen this before and it's being fulfilled right now and he says out of Egypt I have called my son alright well where where is that that's located in Hosea chapter 11 in verse 1 it says when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son And the text goes on to explain the the, the exodus out of Egypt gets, and, and that God was there to provide for his people and that Israel was his child his son he called his son Israel out of Egypt so we're like well, where where do we see Jesus in that I don't see Jesus in that because it's not a specific prophecy it's a patterned Prophecy, where we see the, the story and depth of God's enduring, faithful, steadfast love for us played out over and over and over again. And Matthew says, look, it's always ever been about Jesus. Matthew was seeing this old uh, Mosaic Exodus is being repeated now and fulfilled in a new way. But Jesus isn't just our new Moses, like a new deliverer. He is the embodiment of Israel himself and a new and better son that's been given for us we see israel who who god calls his son and we see this perfect amazing picture of jesus who god calls my beloved son and just like israel went down to egypt and then came out of egypt into the promised land so too god's son will make the same journey you see this story is this story it's not a this is that it's this is this this is god's story and, and while we compartmentalize specific prophecies, here's what's important to understand about patterned prophecies. They're like a, a tapestry that's been woven. You know, my kids will come up to me, and I, and I do it all the time, because I'm just, I think I, can, I think I can overpower thread sometimes, right? You have this little thread that's hanging down from your cuff, or from your, whatever, right? And what do you do? You're like, oh, well, I can, I can get a good grip on that. And I don't know why, sometimes, if I, I feel like if I flex it just, it'll make it so it pops right off. I have no, it doesn't change the, right? But what happens? We pull it. Oh, no, and it pulls and pulls and pulls. You think, oh, it's almost the end, almost, almost the end. By the time you're done, your shirt's gone, right? And the seams have all popped. Like, what just happened? My kids, the same way, they'll they'll run up to me. They'll, Daddy, what is this? No, 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 no. It's ruined. That's what it is. But for us, I want you to understand a specific uh, prophecy is kind of one of those things that is Uh, compartmentalized and checked off the list. Like, yep, Jesus did that. Way to go, Jesus. But a patterned fulfillment of prophecy is like a thread woven into a tapestry. When you pull on that thread and you see that fulfillment in Christ and you pull on that thread, what we see is he has always ever been woven completely through God's story. And it should be one of those things that it, it just enriches our heart to know that this is this. And Jesus has always been the center of everything. We can't help but see that when we study the scriptures, when we read this kind of a text. And we see Matthew saying, this is what it is. This is, this is who Christ is. And this is, this is exactly what God has always been doing. This is what he's been up to. So we see the exodus in Jesus. The next one we see in our text of a patterned prophecy is, is in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. So we just, we just saw what happened. They, they went out uh, and escaped to Egypt. And then Herod, when he realized that he'd been outwitted by the wise men, what did he do? He flew into a rage. And he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he learned from the wise men. This is an atrocity. This is a guy who is absolutely threatened by a little baby being born. Why? Because he's king of kings and Lord of Lords, and that as much as Herod wants to be king of the Jews, he cannot be king of the Jews forever. Verse 17, that was spoken, uh, that what was spoken under, uh, through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. So when he said, there's a slaughter going to happen, Matthew's saying, this is, this is the prophecy we're seeing in Jeremiah. And I'll read it, it says this, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping, a great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. It's, that's a dark day. It's a dark prophecy. But that, that wasn't talking about Jesus. How is it that Matthew's trying to tell us that, that the massacre in Bethlehem is the fulfillment of the prophecy that we see in, in uh, Jeremiah? Jeremiah was talking about the people who had gone into exile, Israelites who had gone into exile. They were, they were led into exile out of Jerusalem, into Babylon. Uh, they were taken captive. Jeremiah was amongst captivity, and he was was one of the exiles. And as he proclaims this, I want you to understand what he's saying here. What he says, I heard a voice in Ramah weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children. Remember Rachel? Remember her? Rachel was the wife of Jacob and the mother of Joseph and of Benjamin. And and she had Benjamin as they were traveling back from Bethel down towards Jerusalem. They wanted to go through Jerusalem and and go into uh, ultimately Bethlehem. So as they're leaving Bethel, and they're coming down through that country, coming south, before they, they get very far, Benjamin is born. And, and during childbirth, she perishes. And it's right around the region where, where Rama is. And Rama is mentioned in our text as the prophecy. So why is Rama mentioned? I heard a voice in Rama weeping. Well, here's what happened. So Rachel, she was, she was said after that to be the, the mother of mourning, or the, mo- the mourning mother. And she, she was also said to be the mother of Israel, right? And obviously we see that in her lineage. And and who came from her, right? But she's the mother of Israel. She was buried in Ramah. And, and later on, what happens in this prophecy is about, is it's about those, those Israelites taken captive by the Babylonians, and they're marching them out of, out of Jerusalem. They're marching them where? North. And they're marching them right through Ramah, right where Rachel is buried. And what Jeremiah is saying, it's as if Rachel from her grave sees Israel, her children, walking by into exile to be no more. And it, she's weeping over them, and she can't be consoled because they are no more. That's what the prophecy is talking about. But remember, it's not a this is that, it's a this is this. So how does this work together? How does this coincide with Jesus? Let me go on. I want to read a little more of that prophecy to you from Jeremiah. It's out of Jeremiah chapter 31. I'll read verses 16 through 17. So she was, they didn't want to be consoled or comforted, Uh, Because their children are no more. This is what the Lord says. Keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears. For the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return from the enemy's land. There's hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration. And your children will return to their own territory. Now, it's it's the same picture. It's the same picture of the exile. And they did return back to their territory. But what Jeremiah is offering is hope to the nation of Israel. And what do we see when we see Jesus? We see hope for the nation of Israel. See, Matthew now, as he's talking about this prophecy that was absolutely talking about an exile, but is also God's continued story and has always ever been always about Jesus. Now as he goes into this newer thing, he's highlighting the climax of those tears of Rachel being shared with the tears of the mothers in Bethlehem you imagine that day or that night, that time, when the children in that region were slaughtered? And what we see is this prophecy coming to a fulfillment and coming to an end with Jesus, as this trail of tears will finally come to an end because He will wipe away every tear. The exile is over, and the reign of a new king, and a new covenant is now at hand. And those tears being shed that, that awful night, that awful day in Bethlehem, brought about the reign of the one who will shed blood for our sins that we could be forgiven and who will eventually like i said in the restoration of all things he will wipe away every tear so we see matthew saying let's pull this thread watch it go watch it just totally be all enveloped in all of god's story and pointing to jesus and fulfilled in jesus it's a pattern prophecy the final pattern prophecy we see here is the Nazarene. We see the Nazarene. Look at the text in verses 19 through 23. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who have intended to kill the child are dead. Now listen, I really want to stop for just a minute and help us understand. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm having trouble, Brandon, connecting those dots, and wait till we get to this one, okay? Yeah, I'm having trouble connecting these dots. Are you sure? No, I'm, I'm only sure because it says God said. Right? This is not the story Matthew's trying to make an account that makes us have a persuasive speech. He is saying, the Lord or the angel of the Lord appeared and said, do this, so this would be fulfilled. We're the ones that have a hard time putting it together, but God's already put it together. It's, it's all wrapped up in His Son, Jesus Christ. He says, uh, go to the lands because everyone who intended to kill the child are dead. So He got up, took the child and His mother, uh, at night, and he entered, or uh, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But he, when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, again, right, God comes from him again, in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. Then he went and settled down in a town called Nazareth, to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called the Nazarene. This is interesting, because Guess what? There's no prophecy anywhere that says Nazarene. There's no mention of Nazareth anywhere. Like, wh- what's he talking about? How can this, how can this be? How can this work together? Well, one of the things that Matthew is doing is he says the prophets have spoken, plural, the prophets. He's trying to take a totality of the picture of what's going on. Earlier, he said this was fulfilled in what the prophet said, right? We knew that there was a prophet who said something and that this is this. Now we're, now we're at a this is this, but it's more like this is all of this is, all of these accounts of the prophets are going to add up to this. So what is this? What, what does it mean that it'll be called the Nazarene? Well, here's the best scenario I can, I can fathom. And, and the best commentators who have, who have said this. The, before Nazareth was even a town, there's a Hebrew word called Netzer, pronounced Netzer. N-E-T-Z-E-R. And the N and the Z and the R are those capital letters that are, are saved and kept. And guess what? Those are the letters that are in the name of the town Nazareth. You see, after the exile, what, what commentators and historians would say is that after exile, Jerusalem resettled in the area and started to, to be Jewish people again and, and celebrate their traditions. Well, outside, towards Galilee, they, still, they settled as well. And it was kind of a shady area, an edgy area. But they, when they went there, they wanted to say, what should our town name be called? Let's call it Nazareth. Well, why? What does that word netzer mean? It's translated branch. It's translated branch. And, and I want us to see a couple of those, those instances. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch, a netzer, from his roots will bear fruit. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Jesus. This is, this is King Jesus out of the line of King David, who's, who's the son of what? Jesse, right? Or, or grandson of Jesse. So we see this family line and this, this shoot, this branch is going to come out. This netzer is going to come out. Then we see Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to, uh, there's two things here that I think that, that fit together because it's like how, how in the world do we get this idea that Jesus is going to be a Nazarene or be of Nazareth? Well, there's a prophecy in Isaiah 9. It, it says, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that in former times. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, and to the Galilee of the nations. This prophecy goes on, right? uh, Hold on to that. The Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Four. So how is this all taking place? For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So out of the region of Galilee, this shady, edgy place is going to come the Messiah. And Matthew adds to that. He says he's going to be called the Nazarene. Why? Because he's from Nazareth. Why is he live in Nazareth? Because Nazareth was named after the one that would come, the anointed one that would come, the branch out of the line of David. So when, let me read one more. Jeremiah 23, this is good stuff, right? I want you to understand, when we look at patterned prophecies, it's like God taking an exclamation mark and just stamping it right at the end of it. Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6. It says, look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will raise up a righteous branch for David. He will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. Our Lord, for the Lord is our righteousness. It's always only been about Jesus. So when Jesus gets gets word his family gets word go to Nazareth because that's going to fulfill the prophecy that he'll be called the Nazarene. What's he really being called? The branch, the anointed one, the Messiah, the king that would come out of the house and line of David. Praise God that's who he is. It's that loud exclamation point. See? Got to see? It's always been my story and it's always always been about Jesus. has never been anyone else. So I want us to understand, I want us to think about something. Too often, even in our faith, we have a compartmentalized faith. Okay, well that story's good, and I'll, I'll go read that story in the Bible, or I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it on Sunday morning, and, and it really doesn't penetrate deep enough into our heart to understand that God's tapestry unravels, and it's always only about Jesus in every aspect of our life and in every aspect of all eternal life. It's always about Jesus. So as we walk out the doors, as we go to our work, as we go to our school, I know kids, school starting up next week, sorry. As we go back to our normal routine, that tapestry and God's story is still unfolding there. And guess what it's all about? Jesus. It's about Jesus being revealed to you and to everyone and about God drawing us closer to Him. So don't leave that compartmentalized prophecy or that compartmentalized story at the door or on your nightstand or in the church building. Take it with us, understanding that, it, that it's, the thread is always the same and God is continuing His love story, even now pursuing you and I and revealing Himself to us. Amen? So, number one was the prophecies. Let's go to number two. What else, what else is going on in this story? Well, we looked at the prophecies. Let's look at the star. The star. Let's look back in Matthew chapter 2. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 and then 9 through 10 together. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. That's interesting. Let's look at verse 9. Going on after they heard the king, they went on their way. And, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising. And it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. There's something going on here, right? Now, let's, let's talk about these magi, these wise men from the east. Um, they're actually best described and, and seen in the book of Daniel. You can see the book of Daniel when, when uh, the king called the magi, the magic men, to come interpret his dream, and they couldn't, he, they, he, they couldn't do it, right? Who eventually did? Daniel eventually did, right? And, and there formed a relationship with these magi, with Daniel, and, and it was a, a favorable one. Even when all of the satraps and prefects and everyone wanted to kill Daniel and set a trap for him, they did not. And you can read more about that historicity in the scriptures, but there was a relationship with Daniel, with a Daniel who loved God with all of his heart, a Daniel who knew the prophecies and prophesied about the coming of Christ. We knew that this, this was going to happen. So the Magi had some sort of inkling of what was going on. Well, how do they know? How do they know, the, like, where did the star thing come from? Because we don't see that really. There's one instance we see that, that we think they may have pulled from, and it's in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17. It says this, A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. Oh, okay, There's a, star, a star is coming. A star is going to be born, right? and a scepter, someone who's going to rule and reign as king. So in, in their heart of hearts, whatever prompted them, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was stirring inside their hearts, convincing them that the Messiah, the king for all people, would be born. Now these men were learned men. They were highly educated men. Uh, they were not ones that just on a whim. They were not the, the hocus-pocus weird stuff. I mean, there was some, some magic going. That's where we get our word magic from, magi. There some weird things happening there. But they were so learned that, that here's what I would argue. A a star in the sky that would be a normal star would probably not have piqued their interest in such a way to pack everything up, leave their home, and travel a long, long ways, a long time to get to Jerusalem and ultimately Bethlehem. There is a a scientific, natural um, explanation for the star. Uh, Around that same time, there's a convergence of three bodies, like two planets and one star, who with our planet's position and their, their revolution around, uh, around the sun and, and the rotation and all the different stuff, it, it lines up, and these three bodies come together as, as one to make a brightly formed body. And it happened right about the time that we think Jesus was born, right in that same time period. So there's the celestial bodies, and you know it's one of those things that we see on the news, oh, there's a meteor shower, it comes once in 20 years, oh, you want to go out and look at it, right? It's one of those things. But th- these guys are learned men, they studied this stuff, they knew it was coming, So it wasn't so special that it was His star, necessarily. Maybe it was. But let me tell you why I don't think that's true. Because God continually, in supernatural ways, will continue to reveal Himself to us in order to draw us near. So whatever God did to reveal the star, His star, He revealed it to the wise men in a way that would draw them near. Now, the story we think goes well, the star went along, and they just kind of followed the star. That's not what the text says until after they go to Jerusalem. What it says is they saw his star. They thought, this is important. We need to go check it out. Now, there are all kinds of instances where God reveals his Shekinah glory to people, where, where this radiance of the glory of God is on display, and people are like, whoa, something supernatural is happening. Remember, we saw that in the, in the fields with the shepherds, right? We saw the angel of the Lord appear, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. That, that's what we're talking about. So God manifests Himself in these glorious ways so people can see His revelation and then be drawn to Him. But, but here's why it only gets natural, because the text does eventually say that out, as they left Jerusalem, after they figured out where He was born, they're on their little five-mile trek to Bethlehem. What did it say? They saw the star again, and this time it moved. This time it led them. This time they followed it. This time it went right over the place where Jesus was. No interaction of interstellar bodies could ever do that. That is the supernatural, divine power of God. Do you understand that God will hurl stars? God will split the sea so that you and I could know Him. That you and I would bow before Him. And you and I would see him as the savior that he is as he provided Christ himself for us. It's quite amazing what God's up to. So we see this star and the magi that followed saying, listen, I'm going to give up everything because God's up to something. We would be all too wise to learn from that. So we see the prophecies. We see the star. Number three, we see the two kings. The two kings. It's a little bit of play on word because we think it's we three kings, isn't it? We three kings. Of, we, we sing the song that way. And I told you earlier, we don't know if it was three kings or if it was wise men, right? We don't know if it was two or fifty. We, we just know it was wise men. And these two kings I'm talking about are the, really the, the central part of the story. And it's not the wise men. Let's check this out. Verses 1 and 2 in Matthew chapter 2. Let's see the two kings. Matthew writes, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, In the days of who? King Herod. First king. We see the first king here, right? In the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. So we see the second king there is the king of the Jews. This is Jesus. It says when King Herod heard this, he got a little riled up, right? And after hearing this, he had the babies murdered. There are two kings at play right now, and and for you and I, the truth of that should be this. There will always be two options for king in our lives as well. Which one will we serve? For most of us, at some point in our life, in some season, maybe it's now for you, you've served yourself. You put yourself as king of your own life, your selfishness, your own desires, your own preferences, your your own prejudice, whatever it might be. You've made yourself king for your own comfort, so you could rule and reign over your own life. You like your own thoughts the way they are. You like your own way of living, and you're going to stick with that. That means you're king. And whenever you are king, when the real king comes, we are threatened by that. Listen, if baby Jesus lying in the manger wasn't the king of kings and lord of lords, there would be no threat to Herod. If Jesus Christ wasn't the King of kings and Lord of lords, there would be no threat to the world and to every one of us that are ruling on our own throne. We just say, whatever, that's myth, and go about our own business. But He is King, and that means something. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? See, listen, when the Magi came to visit Jesus, they came to worship the one who had been born king of the jews all credit was given to him they came to a king and asked where's the king how dare you say that why do the, na- the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain the kings of the earth they take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the lord and his anointed one all are conspiring all our plots all of our rage inside of us, all of our hostility towards Jesus is all towards Jesus because He is a threat for you and I to reign our own lives and to rule our own lives. But He's not a threat, is He? He's the King that came to serve. He's a King that put on a crown of thorns and went to the cross so you and I could have life. He's not there to take away your life and to give you a bad time and to rule over you and lord it over you and make you a slave. He came to... To break the chains of bondage that are on our hearts. He came to free us from sin and the sentence of sin. He came to give us forgiveness. And in giving us forgiveness, give, him, give us himself and a righteousness that will guarantee our inheritance with him in heaven forever. That's what this king is all about. Mary knew it. Mary, when she sang her song, when she knew she was pregnant with Jesus, she sang this song, and this is part of it. He says, he, attributing to God, has done a mighty deed with his arm, he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their, from their thrones and exalted the lowly. Listen, there are two kings, but only one is king of kings and lord of lords, and he will win. In the end, here's, here's the deal. It's good for us to be toppled. It's good for us to be taken down a notch or two or all the way. It's good for us To be ruined by him. Because one day we will stand before him and he will ask us this question Who is your king? Asking in the form of, Who has been your king? Because at that moment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. But that will be too late if we have kept ourselves on our own throne and made ourselves or something else king other than Jesus. There are two kings. And that, that leads us to the last and final point. This is the most important part of this for us. Number four is the response. What was the response to Jesus? Let's, let's look at this a little more in depth, the response. Go, go to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then 7 through 12 together. After Jesus was born in Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. So we see a glimpse of the wise men, don't we? There's faith there. There's like, there was a star that appeared, and by faith they packed up and left. And not only did they pack up and leave, it wasn't a circus they were going to. They were bringing themselves to lay flat on the ground before little baby King Jesus and give themselves wholly and completely to him in worship. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. We'll come back to that. Then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked the exact time the star appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and what? Worship him. No, nope, that's a lie. That's not his intent. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And, and there it was, the star they'd seen rising. It led them. Uh, until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy, right? This response out of their heart of faith and worship. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. There are three responses we see here. And I think there are three responses that we see in, in, in humanity all across the board. There's two kings, three responses. The first response we see is indifference. Indifference. It, it's one of those positions that, that says, I, listen, I just don't want to cause a stir. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to stir the pot. I don't want to get people worked up about stuff. It's like, it's like at Christmas time and holidays when family comes. We don't talk about religion when family's around. Grow a spine. Talk about something important. Don't respond indifferently to Jesus. Because if we do, so will the people around us. I want you to understand, they came to find who? Who did the, the Magi come to find? The one that was born king of the Jews. Were the Magi Jews? Absolutely not. But Jesus in Bethlehem, born to a Jewish family in Jewish times in Jewish country near Jerusalem, where all his, his countrymen were, all the Jews were there. These learned people. Think about this. They came to Jerusalem, and they had to ask the question. This is this is a jeopardy like for one hundred question, Alex. This is like, where's Jesus going to be born? Uh, where's Bethlehem? Right. That's that's the answer. When he came, they came in after having to ask that question. Herod had to also ask it, by the way. But the ones who knew the answer, they were Jesus' people. They were the Jews that he was to be born king over. They were the ones who knew the prophecies. They said, oh yeah, the the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. And these Magi are like, yeah, we're here. We saw the star. We're going to go check it out. And what did his own people do? He came to his own people, John says, and they what? Received him not. difference is, Jesus okay. And then we bury our head back in the sand or back in our Bible study books and don't even look up to see Jesus. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish teachers, the Jewish people were all indifferent. Remember, they came and and it troubled Herod. Herod was troubled and it said, and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod was troubled because that was a threat to his throne. Jerusalem was troubled because Herod was troubled oh no don't make him upset don't upset daddy right they were they were troubled and so indifference causes us to kind of sulk back and not push the agenda not not push the topic not not investigate further indifference was a response that we saw here we should not be indifferent and bury our heads back in the sand then we see hostility that's another response we see right hostility Now, both hostility and indifference are in the same camp. It's rejecting the Messiah. Whether by hostility or indifference, you reject the Messiah. Hostility is this hating of Jesus and everything that's associated with Him. This is seen in the attitude of of the attack on His followers, on His teachings, on His church, on His kingdom. You know, in our bulletin today, you have the prayer force alert. It's for us to prompt, to pray for persecuted churches. Why? Because people hate Jesus. They, are, they know that he's a threat to their way of thinking, their way of life, their way of power, their way of status. And they're right, he is, because one day everyone will kneel. But they don't want to kneel. They hate Jesus. It's this choice that people make and when their own reality is being threatened, when my own lifestyle is being threatened, when my own, my own way of thinking or living, I don't, I don't want to change that. Make no mistake, Jesus is a threat to them. He came to call us to repent, to let go of all of those positions and statuses and and whatever preferences we had, and to embrace Him fully. That's what He's called us to do. But what He knows is that when we do, He will be the greatest treasure, and He will always be the most satisfying treasure for us. We will be most satisfied when we humble ourselves and get life in Jesus. That's what He gives us. Jesus is a threat. You know why? Because if Jesus is king, it means that you are not. It means that I am not. And that should be a reality check of the Christian heart every single minute. You aren't king. I'm not king. Jesus is king. He's king Jesus. And when he's king and we're not, it means our dethronement. It means our submission and surrender. It means that you and I can no longer lead our own lives and agenda. It means we bow to him. It takes this humbling of ourselves before the real king, just like the wise men did, so that we might find real forgiveness and we might find real life. And in that life, there's joy and a treasure that will be better than anything we could have ever made on our own. So the response is either indifference or hostility, or that third way we're talking about now is this faith-filled humble worship. And we see that in the wise men, right? Although his own people were indifferent to him and and many were even hostile against Jesus, it took Gentiles, right? Unbelievers, non-Jews that heard and and rich non-Jews and that traveled from a far, far off country, traveled many miles, maybe years to get to see Jesus. It took them rightly responding in faith to the way that God revealed Himself to them and that God was drawing them to Himself. And as they, as they responded in faith, the response of the faithful is this, that we would bow before God, our King, the Savior born for all people, not just the Jews. John tells us that He came to His own people and His people did not receive Him. But he says, but to all those who did receive, he gave the right to become children of God to those who would believe in his name. See, there's life in Jesus Christ. As we look at this text, if we look at the, the gloriousness of this text, there's a couple things to think about. One is this there is a choice to make. You and I have to answer the question who is the real king of the Jews? Right? And, and in that, there, there are two kings who will be my king? Who will I humble myself before? Or who am I going to elevate? Whose voice are you going to listen to? Am I indifferent in some way? Am I too quiet and too passive? Not seeing what Jesus has in store? Am I hostile? Will I be hostile when Christ presents himself? Maybe even now the hostility in you is rising and you can feel that bubbling up inside you because Brandon keeps saying Jesus and I'm tired of it. Sorry. Sorry. Jesus is the real king, and that's why he's a threat. You've got to do something with that. Will you be indifferent? Will you be hostile? Or will you, like the wise men, bow low with whatever gifts that you have and adoringly worship him? This account of the story, the first thing is we have a choice. And in the account of this story, it is given to us, It is written, not so we could check off the list of prophecies, but it is written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we will have life in His name. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Father, you are are so glorious and, and gracious to us. And Father, we are in the middle of our indifference and our hostility towards you. You still pursue us. You still reveal yourself to us. God, you hurl stars in order to reveal yourself. And God, you draw us to yourself. God, help us to humble ourselves and to bow lowly before the real King of kings and Lord of lords. And God well up in us an excitement and a joy and an exclamation point stamping the fact that all of Scripture informs all of Scripture and all of in Scripture, all of Scripture form, uh, informs us about you, Jesus. And how we can believe in, through faith and have life in His name. Help us to believe. Help us to respond to you in the appropriate ways in humble adoration and worship to you. Giving of all that we have to you because you, God, are our greatest treasure.